0: Hey, everybody, welcome to a new episode of The Low Code Approach. My name is Sean Feeney. I'm one third of the hosts over here today, and I'm joined
1: by.
2: And I'm Wendy Hadath. I'm a senior cloud solution architect, and I'm joined by.
1: Ken Aguilar, principal program manager and all around troublemaker of the group. We are joined today by our good friend and colleague, Bill Ryan, director of BPM services. And Bill. We're going to jump straight into this um, and allow you to introduce yourself, but I'll also add a question in, and that is, what is robotic process automation, or RPA, and why should our customers care about it?
3: Well, great. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. This is uh, this is an awesome opportunity. Bill Ryan, I've been with Microsoft for three and a half years, focusing on uh, business applications and low code. Um, currently, I'm with the business applications strategy team in our CTO group. And uh, I'm responsible for working with our internal sellers and our architects in helping them um, understand what our solutions are and how to go to market with them. So why? what is RPA and why should I care? Robotic process automation is the idea that you can take a business process that someone does manually. Let's say it's, um, it's an invoice approval process. That's a really common one that, that's used a lot in RPA. And you can basically record the process that a human does and then be able to repeat that process over and over so the human doesn't actually have to do it. This is a really, really powerful technology that's evolved over the last 10 years or so. And Microsoft is is now a major player and and a leader in this space where we have the ability to take, and you can think about any industry, whether it's finance and banking, healthcare, insurance, manufacturing, any process where there's a human involved that is looking at a screen, whether that is you know, an Excel spreadsheet or going into a system like SAP or some other backend system, and then being able to look at values and make a decision based on looking at those values that can be recorded and built into a robotic process. That process can then can be run either in an attended mode or an unattended mode. That allows the organization to take the person that was that was responsible for that specific process and apply them and have them do something else. So the saving is pretty significant when you think about factoring and scaling that across an organization. Let's say you have in your accounting department, you have 40 people who are responsible for looking at and approving invoices. If you could automate that process, uh, that's 40 people and the hours associated with those 40 people that can be used for something else that can save an enormous amount of money.
0: Very cool. So you mentioned a couple of terms in your explanation. Two were attended and unattended. Can you tell us the the differences between the two?
3: Sure. The concept of an unattended flow is the ability for you to actually record the keystrokes and the actual actions and then apply logic to those keystrokes and actions and take that recording and run that in an unattended mode. So think about it as somebody logs into the SAP system, for instance, as an example, they navigate to invoices and they look at the invoices that are in their queue um, and they open an invoice and they go through the process of of reviewing the the costs that are in it, that invoice, looking for anomalies, and then being able to approve that invoice, recording that process, and then being able to run that in an unattended mode is something that's really really powerful, where you don't have to. It's basically the the bot itself, the the RPA process that runs either on the desktop machine or the or a virtual machine that runs in runs in the cloud that can run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all on its own, doing its own thing. An attended process is where you still have that, that capability of having the automation and uh, going through the approval process and and the logic, but someone has to initiate that flow itself and make that flow run. So they can run it instead of on a scheduled basis. They can run it ad hoc whenever they want so they could have a set of RPA processes maybe that they use as a toolkit that's part of their, their work. And whenever they need to run one, they can basically just execute that flow. It's very similar to what we used to do in SharePoint where we created a SharePoint flow that was kind of an attended process where you had to actually go and go into the SharePoint site and execute the flow. And we also had unattended processes where we could schedule those process flows to run in SharePoint on a scheduled basis using a timer, um, and being able to run it—it's a very similar concept. Except now we're take we have the ability to do very complex actions and add very complex logic to those flows to make things much easier for the individuals to to execute.
2: So, Bill, my my spidey senses are going off when you say SharePoint because we had SharePoint workflow and cloud flows have been the the replacement. So now we're talking. Robotic Process Automation and Power Automate Desktop. So, where does that fit in? And, and kind of, you know, especially if someone's coming from the SharePoint lens on-prem and needs to migrate, should should they be looking at RPA in addition or instead of the cloud flows? Or can you help me understand that and maybe even business process flows as well?
3: Yeah, think about it as a not an or but an and, and at a situation where migrating. SharePoint flows that were on prem into cloud flows is something that is is a standard process that we that we do a lot with customers, um, and customers are are migrating and 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 doing that work themselves. But RPA and the and the capabilities that that Power Automate Desktop have are um, significantly greater in terms of the logic that you can create with those attended or unattended flows, and the power of being able to record the keystrokes and have something that is very complex, that runs on its own is a really powerful addition to the, the cloud flow processes. So think of you might have a SharePoint site that someone drops a document in and you might use a spreadsheet and perhaps it's similar in the sense of instead of going into SAP and and opening up uh, an invoice, perhaps that's an invoice that's get dro- that gets dropped into a SharePoint site through a cloud flow that comes from, Perhaps someone has uploaded a file to a SharePoint site and there's a cloud flow that runs. Because we're running SharePoint in the cloud and we're not running it on-prem anymore, that business process has been sort of isolated and that flow has been isolated into that cloud environment. Now we have the ability to use cloud flows to be able to execute that logic within that SharePoint site. But there is the capability of using RPA for much more complex actions where there may be multiple systems involved that we have to integrate with. And we have the ability to create that, those, those complex actions using Power Automate Desktop in either an unattended or an intended flow process.
1: So Bill, you made some really great points there and I'd like to maybe kind of double click on a few of them. One of which is you mentioned many different systems and the complexities that can be had, of course, with connecting to those things. In certain industries, let's just say FSI, or excuse me, financial service institutions, we we know that they have many interconnected services, applications, and so on. So do you feel that, for example, SharePoint is the backbone of a lot of things within M365, document management, knowledge management, and so on, do you feel that maybe perhaps Other industries outside of, say, FSI or whatever. What industries? What type of person? What persona would greatly benefit from using something like RPA?
3: Yeah, there's a lot I can think of. At least ten industries that, off the top of my head, that that are are really that RPA can really really help. Industries like healthcare, where RPA is used for administrative tasks, for claims processing, appointment scheduling, data entry. There's a lot of opportunity in that space in within healthcare to really offload the administrative burden that most organizations have. Insurance is another one. Claims processing, underwriting, policy administration, really the accelerating the ability to be able to take a claim and process that claim quicker instead of having a human having to look at that claim and be able to adjudicate that claim. There's a lot of processes that RPA can really help in that space. So when you think about the time that it takes for someone to work with an insurance company and when they when they they lodge a claim and to have that claim resolved is really important in terms of being able to keep that customer happy so the more that you can that you can reduce the time to process that claim the more satisfied customers you're going to have and then you have the ability to ensure that claims are processed specifically in a way that follows your structure your regulations and all of the necessary components around governance uh, within that industry. Other areas like retail, where RPA is used for inventory management, order processing, customer service, being able to take um, an order and fulfill that order using a robotic process, saves the organization a lot of time and gives their customer service reps and their order processing team the ability to work on other things to improve the customer experience. Those are just three that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, there's tons. Utilities, legal services, transportation and logistics, government, pharmaceuticals. The sky's the limit when you think about whatever industry there is. RPA has has a place in that.
2: So, Bill, I want to take it back, though. I do think that going back into governance is very relevant to our audience, whether you call it governance or service management, that framework there, because that's part of them feeling... Safe to use our products. Uh, we we talked about it in a previous episode, you know, I, Power Platform is the shadow IT killer, right? Where you're you're allowing people to do this automation to solve their business problems, but within the confines of a of IT's purview. Yep. And yet, there's there's steps that IT needs to take, not just to again flip those nods and switches, but also just to make sure that IT can sustain this, whether it's support or whatnot. So you have a lot of experience here, specifically with RPA. And I, I would like to hear a little bit more about that experience and how you've been approaching that with our customers.
3: Absolutely. I, I think this is an area that is one of the scariest for most organizations. And I've been in situations where the company, the IT was going was to turn off the Power Platform. They, were, they weren't they were going to go with RPA uh, and they weren't going to use it because they didn't understand how to govern it and they didn't understand how to manage it, both from a a DLP perspective, a data loss prevention perspective, but then also, and from a security perspective, especially when you get into RPA, things become really complex around making sure that you have the right access to those backend systems and that the authority of that account has the appropriate permissions and it's controlled in a way that someone is not accessing data, that they shouldn't, you're not leaking data in any way. And that's a scary proposition for a lot of organizations. So what we're seeing is organizations that are successful with RPA and the power platform, they build a service model. There's a lot of discussion around, should you allow citizen developers to create RPA solutions? There's even customers that are, should we allow our business users to create power apps and power platform solutions? There's some organizations that are really afraid of that because it is a Pandora's box, right? They're looking at it and going, we're freaking out. So if you build a service model where you have the ability to have an innovation team, we call it a center of excellence. Some organizations kind of kind of look at that and go, yeah, we're done with centers of excellence. Let's call it an innovation center. Whatever you call it, building a service model that allows you to support two continuums. There's a pro developer continuum that can manage and build those complex solutions that the organization doesn't have the skills to be able to do. Let's say it's the treasury department for a large financial services company, a global services, financial services company, and the treasury team wants to get into RPA, but they don't really have the skills or the knowledge and they don't have a lot of developers. By building a service model that allows you to have an intake process where you have some some, uh, pro developers that can build those solutions for them, kind of like a consulting organization within within your, your company that can work with those departments and help them build those solutions and maintain those solutions over time. As that group starts to learn the, the, the tools and the capabilities and understand how it's governed within the organization, you now have the ability to start to build relationships and build out a what we call a fusion team, where you have business analysts that can understand how the processes need to work and they work very closely with the pro developers to to maintain and manage those processes and those, those bots that get created and those RPA solutions that are managed as a team. The idea of a service model where you have an innovation team that they do the, the innovations uh, center of excellence planning, they do monitoring and oversight, they work very closely with IT to uh, to manage security operations, They think about things like continuous improvement, strategy and planning. It's the the overarching management of the service model that the innovation team or the COE team is responsible for. They're also responsible for things like developing training and nurturing, um, advisory and envisioning services, policies and general use. How are you gonna use the platform? How are we gonna manage it? Working closely with IT and the business to kind of build that bridge between those two groups to create you know how we're gonna administrate this platform. What are we gonna do when new new solutions and new capabilities within the technology allow us to be able to use new features? How are those gonna get rolled out? So you're starting to develop a continuum across two groups. One is they have these these pro developers that are really knowledgeable in this and they need to share that information, being able to create community and support processes where there might be a Teams channel that someone can go and ask a question. We use Viva Engage now, and all of our teams and groups are all kind of engaged on Viva Engage. And anytime I have a hardcore technical question that needs to be asked, I have a team of thousands of people who can answer that question for me. Very similar in 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 an organization where you create that Teams channel that the community kind of supports each other. You might have a support DL that someone can send an email to and get a question answered. You might have some office hours where the pro developers might you know, host office hours to be able to share knowledge about the platform and, and how to use it and be there to answer questions. Most importantly though, being able to, to have tools like a global wiki or a self-service portal where someone can go and get access to the knowledge that they need to be able to learn and be able to develop, maybe get licenses for and start working with the platform that is managed and governed by the COE team, but also the pro developers. And then things like building a bot catalog, having a template catalog somewhere where someone can be able to use, let's say it's an invoice processing bot and you have a framework for that bot that you created and everyone is approved that that's exactly what that bot structure needs to be. Rather than creating something from scratch, one of the really powerful things about our Power Platform is You never have to start from scratch. You can take somebody else's, whether it's a power app or a bot, and then you can save that and start modifying it. And so not only does that save you time, but it gives people the ability to structure and control how those those components are being built. And there's some really detailed capabilities that we have around managing that process. So being able to have all of those capabilities where you've built this structure that allows you to be able to work with the organization to create and manage those really important, what I call enterprise bots or enterprise solutions, and then being able to give them the ability to create their own um, that may not necessarily be, you know, really complex, full-blown, tightly integrated with back-end systems. There are always processes that organizations, that teams come up with that would say, hey, this would be awesome for a bot. We also have the ability to submit that bot to a and that idea into an intake process where it can be evaluated by someone on the on the COE team and then they can decide no that's not something that we want to take on and help you with this is something you guys can manage yourself because it's it's pretty simple and pretty easy and it doesn't integrate with back end systems it's just you know working off of a desktop file or maybe off of a file on a OneDrive somewhere and this is something you guys can do yourself so we'll guide you and help you in getting that started. Here's a template that you can use to start that process. And then they nurture them through the development of that. Eventually what happens is, you know, that department gets better and better and better and more and more knowledgeable about the platform. They can start taking on bigger and bigger things. And then that that guidance around nurturing and, and governance is already built in with that service model that you created.
0: Bill, this has been just a ton of information and it's been so well done. But I feel like we've only scratched the surface. So we definitely yeah. love to have you back to talk a lot more about RPA and how that fits into organizations, especially around the change management and service manager. You touched on many great points. I'd love to really double-click into templates and, and, and catalog bot catalogs, uh, and actually talk about the, the differences between your communication strategies around citizen developers and pro developers. And I think these are topics that we'll we'll touch on the next time we have you on. But one thing I do want to ask you, though, is if our listeners are curious about RPA, what's something they can do to start scratching that itch about mm-hmm. uh, desktop flows?
3: Learn.Microsoft.com. It's where I go for everything that I need to know about, about the platform. Here at Microsoft, there are a ton of resources. Our digital, they used to be the CSEO. They are now, it's a different team. I think it's the digital onboarding team or something like that, but they have a lot of governance that there's a there's a wiki that you can go to to see how to get started. And for other organizations that are implementing RPA, there are a ton of resources out on YouTube. There's a ton of resources for learning that are third-party learning solutions that you can go to and then I would, you know, start playing with it. I mean, you can download Power Automate Desktop and start playing with it locally using, you know, desktop files and files that are that you have access to within, you know, most organizations allow people to use that. Some have locked it down, some don't, depending on, on what your your global policies are. But you know, that's getting hands-on and actually seeing um, those solutions in play. There are a ton of resources out there for the Power Automate community. That very similar to the Power Platform community. There's a ton of people who are contributing to community sites that they can, that people can go to to be able to engage and find experts that they can, that they can work with. And then of course, anytime they want to be able to, to go deeper, they can always call on Microsoft or or a partner to be able to help them with uh, with getting going.
2: And I just want to throw out one other resource. It's a little more generic, but a, kind of tying toward your your service framework approach is we do have the site adoption.microsoft.com where we have our adoption workbooks and that's more general across the entire Power Platform, but will help you start thinking about some of these things in terms of executive sponsorship or positioning of the Power Platform or supportability and operationalizing the Power Platform, so it's a great resource to check out as well. That's a great point, Wendy. Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Awesome. So. Once again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us, Bill. We really look forward to having you back on. And uh, I think what I'm going to do is set up a bot to book the rest of the meetings for me for today. (laughs) So thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone.